Welcome to the CHRO South Africa podcast. In this episode, Liberty's Group HR Director Pumeza Bum shares lessons from her career journey, highlighting the challenges and milestones that shaped the leader she is today. Pumeza, who won the Strategy and Leadership Award at the 2022 CHRO Awards, also talks about enabling Liberty's transition to a platform business by instilling a growth mindset that fosters a culture of agile learning and innovation. Welcome to the CHRO South Africa podcast. My name is Sungulan Kabinde and I'm the community manager at CHRO South Africa. Today I'll be speaking to Pumeza Bam, the Group HR Director at Liberty Group, who last year won the Strategy and Leadership Award at the 2022 CHRO Awards. Pumeza was appointed Group Executive for People and Culture at Liberty Group South Africa in March 2017. Prior to that, she was the Group HR Director at EOH for eight years. She also worked as HR Director at SAP South Africa for three years, and she has a BSc in Biochemistry and Physiology from the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Hmm. Welcome, Pumeza, and thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Sungula. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Fantastic. Uh, look, I'm going to go straight. I mean, as I read your, your profile, it says you studied biochemistry and physiology, and uh, here you are with this excellent career in HR. How does that even happen? <laughs> um, you know, like any young student who's good at maths and loves the sciences, I was going to be a doctor. My parents were thrilled. <laughs> Um, and I started then doing a, a biochemistry physiology degree with the intent of going into medicine. Um, I finished that first degree and I'd applied to university for medical school. And I was fortunate enough to be accepted in the American University for medical school, which was supposed to start in September of that year. But I thought, geez, January to September, I can't just sit around and do nothing. I Then there was a temporary job available at then what was called Durban Water Metro Services. And um, they were looking for a biochemist to analyze water. And I, and I put up my hands. I thought, let me just kill time, earn a bit of money while we wait for my trip to do medicine. Can I tell you within the first month, I hated it. It became very clear to me that if this is going to be my life in a lab with a coat, generally by myself, analyzing and not interacting with people that I'm going to be in a bad space. And in my curious nature, I started to get to know people in the department, trying to understand what people did. And remember my temp, so I don't have a really permanent job. Um, and there happened to be a temp vacancy in the HR department. And I literally started from the ground up as a wage administrator. Um, and for me, it wasn't just about the, the work. It's around this everyday interacting with people. I must remember this, the environment I was in is very blue collar. So it also gave me an opportunity to almost be a liaison for blue collar workers and trying to help them understand um, um, the, the, the HR implications of things they were doing. Um, I'm like in fast track over the years. I got into recruitment. I worked for a, um, an agency for a couple of years. Um, and then at the same time, I started studying. So I, was, I was then clear in my path that okay, I've left the medicine journey. And by the way, my, my parents were not very happy. But that's a story for another day. Um, so I started studying in the background. To understand. Firstly, my focus was studying business more first before HR. 
because I felt that one thing was going to be very important for me was to understand the business world and most importantly, commerciality, and then hook it on then to the people um, dynamics. Over the years, um, I started working for a consulting firm. At that time, Ernst & Young had a consulting practice, um, really junior role, but it got me, it gave me a chance to really be exposed to the full um, people's suite and the, and the life cycle of people. Um, and that's really where my consulting journey started in, in HR. So first, as an external consultant, before I moved into proper business partnering with other organizations. Okay. And um, over that period, um, you know, reflecting on your career, what would you say were the big milestones or periods over which you experienced the most personal and also professional growth? Um. I think the first major one came at my time when I was at EPSA because at the time it was when EPSA and Barclays were merging. So coming together, I mean, they've, they've now since divorced. But for me, I'd, I'd been appointed at EPSA um, to head up talent sourcing, uh, which is the recruitment arm for, for Gauteng. Um, and I was on an accelerated development program um, seen as a young star talent in the business. So when the Barclays conversation happened, a, a core team was put together for the integration and the then HR director of the Barclays arm, as a lady by the name of Sarah Thompson, was looking for, I suppose, what they called these days a business manager. And for me, there was the first major, I suppose, career milestone because not only did I get to work with a, an executive, but I got to start working with a, a team that was looking around, how do we build and put two very different businesses together? And they were very different from a culture point of view. So being Sarah's partner, Sarah was the, was the HR director I was working with, it, it gave me, because I was literally her shadow, it gave me access to senior exco forums. I got to understand what is being discussed at those forums? What are the things that business is grappling with? How do we help people to change? How do we think um, about culture and different cultures and uniting there? Um, so that was a very, there was a big milestone for me. Um, it also got me exposure to the market and I was then approached to be HR director at SAP, um, as you called it. Again, fantastic environment, great global experience. Um, and for me, um, one of the things that's so important in life is to have a broad worldview. And that global experience allowed me, yes, it was intense traveling, but it allowed me to be part of an organization that just was not looking at South Africa, but across the world. I mean, meetings were in different time zones. So one had to be if you're having a meeting with a team in New York at three o'clock, you must know it's almost midnight your time, you know, but we, we found a way of making things work. So SAP major milestone. Um, I left SAP only because I, I just had my first baby and I was struggling with the traveling and mom and trying to make things work there. And I made a personal call that, you know, as much as I love this global and growth environment, I do need to perhaps look for an opportunity locally that will give me the stretch that I'm looking for and the growth I'm looking for without compromising my need to, to be at home. 
I think the next big milestone would have been when I was asked to join a little-known company then called EOH. It really is unfortunate that EOH has got a bit of bad press at the moment. Um, and I think like many organizations have gone through difficult times, the majority of the people there are very good people and do excellent work. And I'm very proud of the work we delivered at EOH. When I started EOH, there were just under 400 people. Um, and, you know, it was a whole lot of different brands under this umbrella. Um, when I decided to leave your age, it's 12,500 people. And we built up a people practice of note and one I can be proud of. If you talk about personal um, things that have happened that have defined me, is whilst I was at EOH, I was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. And for me, that has been a, a, a significant um, element of my life. Um, the journey of cancer is difficult, aggressive, and no one must wish it on anybody. But for me, how that organization carried me through that journey really also is the lens through which I look at how I engage with people since then, how, how we apply our people practices, how we think about people and meet them where they're at. Policies are one thing. I think that's a, one thing as HR professionals we must think about carefully. We really be think, need to be thinking about guideline for the business rather than here's the rule. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the journey of health is one that I, 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 I'm continuing on. Um, I'm grateful to where I am now, but I also know without the organization support and the team around me, I wouldn't have been able to, I suppose, heal the way I've healed. So, yeah, you talk about significant times in my life. I think those are the ones um, at the top of mind. Wow, that is a remarkable story. And then after going through all that last year, you win the Strategy and Leadership Award, you know, with a quite high caliber uh, executives nominated alongside you. How did it feel to be recognized, you know, among your peers for the work that you're doing? Sure, what an honor. Um, my heart was just full of grace and gratitude. Um, not just with, for the, with the fellow nominees who were nominated, but just to be seen by peers um, and recognized for the work that one does. I think for me, um, leadership has, has really been, and, and, and supporting leadership is what drives me. Um, and first of you, we must also remember that leaders are employees and are people first. Um, and the key thing for me is I think one of the skills I've really honed over time is a deep listening ability. And the listening ability for me is important when you're dealing with, with, with leaders around, listen to where people are at. Listen to what the organization is trying to drive. Create the link for people. Um, you know, one of the things we've, we've, we've done well in our environment is around can we first, as a, firstly, we are purpose-led. Um, and I think once, and this was for me one of the big attractions for Liberty, the purpose of being there for people in their most vulnerable moments um, to help them meet um, their own financial goals. That, that resonated with me personally. But I think for me is that for you to be successful in an organization, your own value system must link to that. Now, we talk about leaders, but I think we also must be clear in organization. What are the things um, 
that link leaders. If I walk outside, can you recognize what a liberty leaders are? And we did a lot of work around um, defining leadership principles for ourselves as leaders. And we want to be clear that we don't want some long charter that none of us can remember. Just three simple statements. Imagine what is possible. Act with humanity and just do what matters. And for me, those three things is what, how we look at the world we live in. And, we, and it's taken time, but I, I see it in the everyday in the business around where people are asking, does this really matter? Is this going to contribute to what we're trying to do? Or are we doing it for the sake of doing it? So when, when in guiding leaders, you've got to start there around, just have them have a common purpose, a common link around, for me to be a leader, I need to embrace this. And then from there, you can start working and walking the journey uh, with people. Um, yeah, to stick on that, I mean, when you, when you start on that journey, I imagine there's some people that take to the concept and others that don't. How do you, is, how do you go through that process of deciding who to take along and who to maybe move on? How does that work when you see, because a lot of um, executives that I speak to say that not all leaders exhibit those traits that you want to see in your organization long-term. And some either go for the option of training and coaching, or then you, if those don't work, then what are the alternatives? So what was the experience with you um, at Liberty when it came to identifying and dealing with those that were not a, maybe a great fit? So I, I think about this, if you think about an, an orchestra, an orchestra is made up of multiple instruments, whether it's string, percussion, name it. The key thing first is not just to say, stand up and let the orchestra come. You've got to work with the parts and understand, where, again, where are people at? Um, and then make sure that that group of strings know the role they play in that orchestra. That group of percussions know the role they play. And you're quite right, not everyone um, will be in tune. And that's okay. But you must recognize that that is okay. Um, you, talk about, you talked about um, tools to help people. I think the standard things around coaching, and I'm not talking coaching in terms of coaching you for your role. We very much focus on you, the person. Um, in anything you do, whether we're even talking about um, growth mindset, and we can talk about it a bit later, is around because you, the, if you, the person, are aligned and are clear of what you want to do, then the fit into the context of the organization is much easier. Um, and I think one of the mistakes we, we make as an organization is that big strategy, high level, me on the ground doesn't know what you're talking about. And the important that what we have to then do as leaders around back to what I was saying about leadership principles, what does this mean in the everyday? Then how do I make this orchestra firstly just come together, then start playing a few notes? At some point, they will they will play a piece that makes some sense. It may not be perfect, but it's still we're walking in the same direction. And people will move at different pace. Um, but I think for me it's important that one creates context um, and not expect things just to happen in a vacuum. Okay, you mentioned growth mindset. And well, through the interview process, those that don't know, you know, when you're nominated for the CHRO Awards, you have to undergo a two-hour interview process and it's quite grueling. 
And uh, one of the answers that Pumeza um, provided is that they that Liberty is transitioning to a platform business. And one of the key objectives was to transform the leadership and culture to having a growth mindset. Now, that seems a bit abstract when you when you speak about it. How did you go about actually implementing this? So I must say first, I came across the concept of growth mindset a couple of years ago and interestingly at my daughter's school. Um, and it was interesting to, under, to, to understand how the school was approaching it because their focus was around how do we get our students, our children to, to be thinking around what is possible and not be fixated on what goes wrong. Um, and, you know, there's so much research. I mean, most people know the work of Carol Dweck. And for me, it's not just about the growth m- mindset, but creating a culture of change is here, change is constant, but how do we equip ourselves with not fearing the change, but say, okay, it is changing. How do I, what is my outlook on my life? What is going to be my attitude around it? Because we're saying that businesses are transforming. You talked about us um, um, doing the work on moving on the platform business. That's a big word. But what does it mean for me every day as, as a person? And for me, it's about helping our people um, with the mindset of how do I pivot? Because the reality is the skills they've had, um, people have been at liberty for, for a long time. Let's say someone's been there 30 years. The skills they've, brought, they've built over the years are not necessarily the skills that are going to take them in the future. How do you make that non-threatening? Because we're humans. We ask to change, we close up. So it's really, it's, it becomes personal coaching work, but it's about just keeping it simple and um, creating the right context that this is exciting things. But if we were going to do it, we all need to just think differently about the work and think differently about the business and also celebrate where we've come from, but also acknowledge that where you come from is not our future. Um, so it's at its core, it's a cultural thing. It's not about um, fluffiness. It's running around, how do I show up in the everyday as a person in the business? Am I going to choose to be constantly worried, be constantly on edge, or am I going to choose to, let me find out more. Uh, let's get together and understand this. Oh, okay. It's not that complicated. We need to do A, B, C, and D. It's about recognizing that learning is in the everyday. And I think most organizations are, are, are moving towards that. Learning is in the everyday. I think as practitioners, it's about how do we measure that? Um, and so, so that it can translate um, to the bottom line for our business. I like how you mentioned the the fear of uh, technology and the skills that are going to be needed um, in the future. People being threatened by technology and chat GPT and what everybody's doing with it. Mm. How are those conversations um, unfolding at Liberty Group and what are, what is, what's been done to kind of use technology to advance the business but also making sure the people uh, keep up? Um, and that's what um, is at the center of platforming is around how do we make sure that 
we automate and as much as possible use technology efficiently to allow us to be present for the human touch to our clients. So not be bogged down with things that technology can take care of. And I know, you know, you can read in any publication uh, around different AI and its uses, and it can be threatening. It can feel threatening. Certainly if I look at our environment in, in, in HR, it's for a while now we've used bots um, to help us with delivery to our clients, which is the employees, um, just to automate the mundane things. Um, and I find that it's actually quite creepy how effective it is. <laughs> but what it does do, um, now I gave this talk to our interns the other day, is that it allows one as a practitioner to truly partner then with your client, to truly be present on proper consulting and not be not be sucked into the everyday admin something else can do. So technology is a big part of our future. Um, but I think for me, it's a gift because it allows us then to truly uh, be people practitioners. Mm. And with the transitioning to a platform business, how far does the rope go? I mean, are we talking SIM cards? Are we talking health? Where, where's, where's Liberty headed? It's all of it. And you must think about um, Liberty in the broader context. So um, last year, Liberty delisted and uh, Standard Bank Group acquired the minority shareholders' uh, shares. So we are fully owned subsidiary now of the Standard Bank Group. Now, that makes it very interesting from a platform point of view. Because then for a client, we are able to have a suite of offerings that are traditional financial services and not. What stops a organization like ours where we have partnered with a client and helped them build up retirement um, savings, investment savings? What stops us at a point of retirement or pre-retirement to um, help them invest in retirement housing investments that are linked to health products? Um, how, so the point is to be one point of contact and behind the scenes deliver everything that client could need. And it doesn't have to come from within the group. The whole idea is that you open up your platform so that other service providers can come in. Of course, you've got to negotiate things behind the scenes, but can come in so you're able to deliver to the single client in a seamless fashion. So it's we've, we, we're down the line in that journey. Time will tell, as you say, how long the rope is. As technology advances, that will, sh will shape how it lands. And um, how are the employees kind of adjusting mm. to that transition? Because I imagine there's all kinds of opportunities, career opportunities, upskilling opportunities that are opening up as a result. Um, what are you kind of doing to encourage people to explore different options? Yeah. So it goes back to what I was saying around um, having the mindset to pivot. So we've been on this fit, future fit journey for a while. And the future fit journey is the, exactly that. Recognize what your current skills are. We share in terms of what skills we see in the future, but one being open to exploring that. Look, in, in some areas, we've had to pivot fairly fast. And our IT um, environment is, is, a, is a good example because to get the skills to platform, you need the IT guys to move very, very quickly. So 
again, it's a it's a cultural drive um, to say we've got a great history, um, both the Stellenbank Group and Liberty, incredible history, to move us forward to to compete effectively. Things have got to shift, um, and the shift is across all areas of business, not just IT. It's in finance. So how do we measure things in the business? It's in marketing and brand. How do we show up to this new consumer? It's in our people practices. Um, are we are we open to different types of employment? Um, and how do we structure that? And the reward linked to that. So it, it the the list goes on. But every single part of the business has got to transform to be able to deliver on this. Look, I think we're nearing the end of our conversation, uh, but one question I always ask before we end the interview is, you know, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing the landscape of HR in 2023? Um, Agility, to be able to shift with the business pretty quickly. Um, To have broad worldviews. Let's not be tunnel visioned. I think most importantly, commerciality. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I do talks at different institutions. And one of the things I always drive with the faculties is around building commercial modules in the training because we set ourselves up for failure without understanding the commerciality. Um, and I think understand the context, the, the environment in which our business operates um, is absolutely key because then you can drive a people's strategy that makes sense and is not divorced. I mean, for me, business strategy and people's strategy are the same thing. One's not divorced from the other. And the minute you start running something else that's not aligned, you're not doing service to the business and to yourself. So those, those really the the key things um, I would ask peers to focus on. Do you think the institutions are keeping up in terms of the curriculums for HR and uh, people subjects? I think some are. I think others um, definitely need to relook. And certainly the ones I've been speaking to are constantly relooking in terms of um, how do we make the qualifications relevant. Um, but, it's, you know, as with, I think for me, as with any skill, one mustn't think that you, because you've got a one degree, you're done. I mean, people often, like you asked me in the beginning, because you're a BSc, uh, that's great. For me, that gives me great analytical skills. But I've done other qualifications post that to hone my people um, understanding and be able to, I suppose, from a strategic point of view, strategic point of view being able to support the business. Um, so one must be constantly looking at what do I bring into my skill set uh, to keep with the times? Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, that's it from me. I don't know if there's anything else you would like to add uh, to maybe inspire a HR professional that aspires to be in your position one day that you could say to them to encourage them. Attitude, attitude, attitude. Mm. You may not have the skill, but you have the attitude. It will take you many places. Lovely. Thank you very much, Pumeza. Thank you. So yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. This is Sungulan Kabinde from CHRO South Africa. We will join you on the next episode.